Hello world, hello internet and welcome to episode 11 of the JS League show. My name is Mihail and together with my co-host Diana, we're going to talk to a very special guest, our first remote guest actually. So Diana, can you tell us more about our guest for this episode? Yes, sure. Hi, guys. We have here, I'm going to say the studio, but we're not in the studio. We're remote. This is the first episode we're going to do on Skype. And our special guest is Eve Van Horn, uh, ambitious developer, as it says online, and co-founder <laughs> of Code Sandbox. Hi, I'm Hello. Eve. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be the first remote interviewee. <laughs> yeah, we've been... We've been thinking about finding a, an interesting guest for our first remote interview, and you are the first person that came to mind. We saw your presentation oh. at Bucharest JS, and we said, "Hey, this guy, this guy is really talented, and he has a story to tell." <laughs> well, thank you very much. So, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and how you you started to be, how you decided to be a programmer, and how did you start? Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said before, my name is uh, Yves Van Horn. Um, I am currently still living on the university for 11 more days. So on the 1st of August, I'm going, uh, I'm moving to Amsterdam. And oh, nice. How I started Let's celebrate. With... Yeah, yeah, we should celebrate. And if you ever are in Amsterdam, don't hesitate to send me a message. That's also, that's one of the good things about going to a place with more people and more central in traffic that's, uh, we can, that I can meet up with more people. But um, yeah, how I started with programming, uh, that was very... That was some time ago when uh, I was very much into um, secret languages with friends. We uh, we always wanted to do have some kind of secret. We were always thinking of like creating a secret language so that we can just send each other letters, and then our parents or some other people wouldn't be able to read our letters. And at some point, I thought that it would be super cool to have like a secret translator on your uh, computer. So that's when I started to read into um, programming books. Like uh, I started with Visual Basic, and um, I created a small translator that would literally translate a character. It was it was not very sophisticated. It was like I had an if statement of 26 uh, different if statements for all the characters, and it would replace the character with another character. And then that way you can also convert the tra translation back. And this is for some time how friends and I would send each other comments on Facebook in this secret language, and we would find it very funny because no one would understand us. Uh, that was the first time, but then I stopped with programming, and it was more on project-by-project project basis. Uh, later, I was more into gaming, and I wanted to have uh, custom functionality for a game server, so I looked into what it, what, what it meant to do something like this, and then I started looking into Java. Then I was stopped again. And only when I was, I think, 17 or 18, I started to look into web development um, because I saw that there was a very cool company that I wanted to work at in my uh, leap year uh, as a summer job. That was Catawiki. It's an auction website. It was a startup in my hometown, and that was unheard of, a startup in our hometown. And I wanted to work there, so I started to learn more about web development, started to work on a portfolio website. And uh, I think that got the ball rolling uh, of how I started with more serious programming. Oh, nice. Uh, I've, saw, I've saw your online portfolio. It's very nice. It changes color every time <laughs> you, <laughs> you, enter, uh, you enter it. So you've worked on startups and other firms, right? And you've actually done an internship at Facebook, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, that's, pre that's, that's pretty cool. Can you, can you tell us how was it? I think there are a lot of people curious about how how is it to be an intern or working at Facebook. Yeah, the internship at Facebook was super cool. The, it was an internship of uh, three months, and I really enjoyed those three months. So I was together with, I don't know, I think it was like 60 other interns or 70, 70 other interns. There were many interns, and um, you got assigned to a team, and in my case, uh, they knew about my work on Code Sandbox because I was already working on Code Sandbox at the time that I got the internship. So they put me on the um, JavaScript Foundation team. And this team is responsible for um, building the tooling that other developers inside uh, Facebook use. Um, and that is specifically focused on JavaScript. 
And the interesting part is that Facebook as a company is so big that we had we had this big monitors with metrics of how our JavaScript tooling was doing was doing, and it was just metrics from within Facebook, how other employees used our tools and what the performance of that was. And we had a lot of data coming in. So it, that was super interesting. It was like you were working for an outside world, but it was all within Facebook. And I specifically worked on the Metro Bundler. So the team that I worked on was responsible for uh, the Jest uh, testing suite. And they were responsible for Yarn Dig um, and the other tool that they were working on a lot um, was Metro in combination with React Native. Um, so I was working on Metro and Metro is a JavaScript bundler. It's similar to Webpack, uh, similar to um, uh, Parcel as well as Rollup, but it's very focused on React Native from the start. Nowadays, it also supports web. And my goal there was to make it a bit more user-friendly because Metro as a bundler is super super fast like if you have an if you update the file if you change a file normally it would take between 100 and 200 milliseconds to regenerate a new bundle so that was super cool but it was also very unintuitive to work with and you often had to create quite some hacks to make it work with your current build system like um, my first task was to uh, to make an application within Facebook use Metro instead of Webpack and I had to create three different Babel plugins just to get some functionality of Metro in. So at the start, I had to convert an application to Metro. And then in the later stages, I had to um, redesign the configuration of Metro to make it more user-friendly. Um, the time there was so cool because you work with a lot of smart people within Facebook. Everyone um, has a lot of interesting thoughts there. And the other cool thing is that they are also just open for talking. We Within Facebook, you have like a mini Facebook that's just for Facebook employees. And you can just send people messages there and they will respond most of the time within a day or you can just walk up to their desk. And the other thing that was very cool there is that they use this Facebook to write posts um, about what everyone was working on. And it really felt like you were looking into the future of JavaScript in some cases with the experiments that people were doing with the JavaScript language in there, it was, I learned a lot from uh, from the people there. So the whole internship experience at Facebook was super kind of enlightening. Um, I really liked it there. It's, it sounds like you would recommend people do internships at Facebook if they have the occasion. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds cool because you you were working on a project that has a lot of visibility, I guess, and it's uh, it, uh, it it could be used by anyone that works at Facebook. So I think that's yeah. really cool to be an intern and work on something that like anyone could benefit from. Yeah, yeah. Do you think true. do you think that they are going to release like open source or I don't know for the public the Metro Bundler, or is yes. it just used internally? Yeah, so it is already open source, but it oh, doesn't okay. have a lot of visibility. Um, and the one thing that I think that Metro should, um, that will make Metro a bit more popular is to also show more examples of how it can be used for web development. Because Metro is seen, is only really known by the React Native community because React Native uses Metro as the bundler by default. Um, and a lot of people don't know that Metro can also bundle web applications. In fact, I would I would really like to have Code Sandbox use Metro as its build tool as well, because uh, when I was converting a web app, a webpack application to Metro, it's a, suddenly we got like a 20 seconds initial bundle time, which was very fast for that application, and 200 milliseconds for an update. If you change something, you would instantly see the update, and that is super cool. Um, I think they use some really neat tricks in Metro. Um, but yeah, the configuration part, it takes a lot of effort. So yeah, if, they, if the configuration would be more intuitive, uh, then I think it would be a very cool option for your developments and production bundles. Nice. Yeah, so sounds pretty nice. How did, you, how, how did you come up with the idea of Code Sandbox? Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a while back. That's, uh, I think, 
so I was I was working on this portfolio website to uh, do a summer job at Catterwick Inn, and um, when I applied there, they asked me if I was interested in working for a full year instead of just a summer job. So I took a leap year to work there. And uh, while I was there, I at the end of the year we started to play with this new technology, React, and converted a couple pages from Ruby on Rails to React to see what the performance improvements would be. And at some point I was on vacation and I got questions from my coworkers about um, React in combination with some, uh, I think it was with, with the Redux library. And um, it was pretty hard for me to answer their questions because they sent over uh, Slacks on Slack, they sent over the code snippets and um, I didn't really have an easy way to see what was wrong with the code. And that's when the idea came up that it would be cool if you can put React code in a browser and then you can share it with people and with together with a live preview. So that's kind of that's when the idea came. But I didn't really do much with the idea. Um, I started going to university first, but then at the university I started to um, I first did a lot of partying and drinking, and at some point I thought that I was doing too much partying and drinking, and I decided that I needed a kind of like, an, like a hobby to get more distracted from that. And that's when I started to look in that, into that idea that I had during the summer holiday. And initially I was building React Sandbox uh, and it didn't have multiple file support and it didn't have, at the very start, didn't even have NPM dependency support. But then over time I started to um, implement more and more and I went kind of overboard with the project because it was just a, it was a side project so you could build whatever you want into it and I was first adding more, more files then more directory support later after multiple files then npm support and so it went on and on and at some point I decided that we should uh, release it to the public and that was in April 2017 and that's kind of how it all got started. It sounds like you, you started this whole thing to solve a very specific problem you were having. And then you went yeah. on and said, hey, I think this could solve more people's problems than mine. So let's, uh, let's expand on this idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the funny thing is that um, initially I wanted to solve the issue of, like, um, of how to easily share code between people, like with the same case with where they wanted to react to share React code. But then other people came with more use cases like for teaching and for workshops and people started to, for example, use it for the library examples or for quickly prototyping some tests and some new use cases came to light after releasing it and that was super interesting and based on that we also changed a bit on what direction we wanted Code Sandbox to go because I find uh, especially the learning part of uh, that you can learn stuff with Code Sandbox really a really powerful thing. So. It's funny how initially you build it for your own to scratch your own itch, and then you suddenly see that it scratches more itches than you were initially uh, <laughs> building it for. Nice. So you started it by yourself, right? And for some time, you were the only developer coding at Code Sandbox. Oh, or I, did yeah, I, I did start uh, by myself, but uh, somewhere around New Year's, uh, my friend Bus he joined as well, and he. Um, he doesn't do the development, but he does a lot of design. Because um, Bas and I, we've known each other since, well, 10 years ago, and we've done all projects together. So at some point, uh, I said to Bas that I was working on this uh, this editor, and I asked if he wanted to join, and that's when we joined up and started working on it together. Oh, nice. Uh, what is the tech stack behind Code Sandbox? Yeah. Um, <laughs> The tech stack is pretty interesting because it was a learning project. So the backend is the most interesting part and the part that Bogdan also finds very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so the backend of Code Sandbox is written in uh, Elixir. And Elixir is a very interesting language because it's based on the Erlang virtual machine. And Erlang is built to be super concurrent and fault tolerant. So if a process fails, then the whole application, the whole server should still work. But Erlang has a syntax that is not very familiar to web developers. So Elixir was a try to make um, Erlang more accessible for web developers by making a syntax that's very similar to Ruby. And at the time, I wanted to learn Elixir. And the best way for me to learn new technologies is to just 
use them and uh, find use kind of find, find how I need to use them for a specific project. So the backend of CodeSam, which is in Elixir, the API server, then we have a Postgres database. And the interesting part is that we save files to the Postgres database as well, mostly because the database Postgres is very, very good at reading files very fast. Um, and in CodeSandbox, we have more reads than writes when people, um, when people visit projects. So Postgres is a, good, is a good target for saving the files. The disadvantage is that big projects are kind of, kind of tricky because when we do a fork, we need to copy over all the files and the inserts are less performant. So that's, uh, that's something that we're working on right now. Then we also have two Redis servers for caches. Um, we have a couple node microservices for very specific logic. Um, and we have an Nginx server to serve all the files of our front-end application. Our front-end application is built in React, and we're using styled components for styling. Cerebral for our state management, but we're moving to Overmind, which is kind of like a next evolution on Cerebral. Um, somewhere, hopefully, in August or, yeah, hopefully August. Let's not make it September. Um, <laughs> then we, uh, the code base is half TypeScript, half JavaScript. Uh, we're slowly converting to TypeScript to make it easier for people to onboard uh, because of the auto completions, the documentation, and, uh, and type definitions. Our homepage is in Gatsby, um, and our dynamic pages are in Next. <laughs> so it's one big, um, it's one big like mashup of different different uh, technologies. But the project is already, I think, two and a half years old. So it's it's kind of like an evolution of tools. The base project, the base editor, is using Create React App, but it's ejected. Yeah, that sounds like a very light stack. You <laughs> you don't use like a lot of web technologies in there, like probably 80% of what's available. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's you, very... You also forgot about SSC. Oh, yeah. Can, oh you, can you tell about the part of SSC? Who was, who was that talking? I think it's a, it's it's a ghost. A ghost. It's a ghost of sandbox past. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 the guy you just heard talking is Bogdan, who wanted to eavesdrop on our conversation with Eve, and apparently he, he also wanted to say his part about SSE. <laughs> hey, Bogdan. Hey there. Oh. Yeah, I got a bit nervous. I got a bit nervous here. And eye twitching, right? Because we, <laughs> we forgot some very important part of the tech stack. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, talk about Kubernetes. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, so for, uh, for a long time, uh, uh, the, the sandboxes, the projects were only run inside the browser, uh, which made some... Uh, uh, frameworks like uh, Gatsby and Next and Nuxt, uh, which uh, were using uh, Node APIs, uh, not work in the browser. And yeah, we, we thought about how to make them work, but uh, it's probably, if not impossible, that uh, very much work. So uh, we uh, thought about uh, what if we would run those in, in a container in the cloud. Uh, so that's pretty much what we did. And now uh, we have two types of sandboxes, which, uh, well, sometimes confuse, confuses people, but yeah, that's it. Uh, ones uh, that run in the client and uh, the others that run uh, in a container, uh, so the, the ones that run in the browser and the other ones that run in a container in in the cloud. And for that, we used Kubernetes uh, and a custom layer above that some node microservices that manage the whole uh, container lifecycle and also the, the communication 
between the browser and the container. Nice. Thank you, Bogdan. Yeah, thank you, Bogdan, for derailing the interview with Eve. And it sounds, yeah. <laughs> it's, it sounds like this is something you're passionate about, about like it's something you well, actually worked you asked, on. You asked uh, and I answered. Yeah, uh, so th that was my, uh, uh, well, not first, but one, one of the first uh, mini projects uh, while working at Code Sandbox. Speaking of that, if you are here to bother us, Bogdan, uh, <laughs> how you and Eves meet? So yeah, that's that's quite a long story. Are you sure you want to hear it all, or to give you the short version? We first met at uh, Jazz Heroes last year. Uh, uh, I was, uh, had a talk there. Uh, I had the view JS workshop. Uh, I I wasn't yet at. JS League, right? So it was mm -hmm. like uh, no, you like weren't. A... I think I think we I, we all formed in November, so we were yeah, in discussion yeah, yeah. in August, and we all formed as a team in November. Yeah, so it was uh, an unbranded workshop, my my <laughs> personal workshop. Uh, but yeah, uh, when we first met, uh, I was already contributing to Code Sandbox for I don't know three months, half a year, something. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that was also uh, around the time that Ives uh, asked me if uh, I want to work uh, on Code Sandbox full time. Oh, nice. Uh, but it was all because of Vue.js actually so <laughs> you have to thank Vue.js for for the opportunity to work on code sandbox yeah That's exactly why you're using next and next and, and to this content. day to this day code sandbox is the only online uh, id that uh, supports uh, view single file components so yeah that's how we came in contact right like yeah yeah yeah, I was because... looking for I was looking for something like that, and uh, actually there were two at that time. Uh, but yeah, the the creator of, of one of those uh, now works also works on Code Sandbox. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was doing Webpack Bean at that time, uh, but yeah, it was a bit uh, worse than Code Sandbox and. Uh, he gave up after a while. Yeah, you, you guys absorbed the, the competition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we worked Okay, that, that being said, uh, I'm uh, going to mute myself and uh, <laughs> 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 let our guest uh, continue his story. Oh, I, I like this. This is a, this is a good like, second view of, uh, of the timeline of Code Sandbox. Yeah, yeah, well. Nice. Well, thank you, Bogdan. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so now that we're uh, back to you, Eve, which you're, you're <laughs> the, the guest here, not Bogdan. So uh, we 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 saw some news about uh, Code Sandbox getting some some investments. Uh, so what are what are your yeah. plans for for like future growth and where are you where trying to go with Code Sandbox in the future? Yeah. So the the investments. Um, we raised this investment to to have more people work on Code Sandbox to uh, expand the team. So right now, when we got the investment, we were three people: uh, Boss, Bogdan, and me. Then, when we got the investment, we now are six people, and in August will be nine people. Um, and um, we're aiming to get to twelve people. And the goal is that we can work on more parts of Code Sandbox to make them Code Sandbox both more collaborative, uh, make it a better tool for teams to work together, but also for more broad broad scale communication with people. For example, we've been working on templates and templates is a, um, is a system where people can create starters. So for example, if you have a good starting point for your, for example, example, then you can make template and the goal is that we have a template universe so that's a page where it's kind of like an app store where people can see other templates and where they can follow templates and use that as starting points then the other part that we want to work on is um, 
work on a workflow by workflow basis to make specific use cases and developments that's much easier in CodeSandbox. One of the um, examples is library maintainers. Um, library maintainers are one of the heaviest users of CodeSandbox because they almost, um, some library maintainers use CodeSandbox every day. For example, when they want to, when they have a bug report, they want a reproducible in CodeSandbox. Or when they want to share like how the library is used, they create an example in CodeSandbox. Or when they write documentation, their examples are in CodeSandbox. And we want to kind of expand, extend their workflow by, for example, making it possible to test intermediate versions of their library within CodeSandbox. So, for example, if someone opened a bug report and someone else opened a pull request with a fix for that, uh, for that bug within the library, then it would be very cool if the library author can test that fix and that library in its intermediate state, so not just published to NPM, right within code sandbox using that bug report sandbox. So they can open the bug report sandbox, set the version to that pull request, and then uh, see if the, if the bug is still there. So that's one example of a specific workflow that we want to tackle uh, first. We also want to um, do this for more workflows later on. For example, one of the workflows that I think are super cool is the Jamstack, um, the Jamstack flow. And I think that if you have an editor that's very that's very focused on making that flow perfect, for example, by integrating how deployments happen or integrating your development tooling better within the editor itself, then we can become like an editor that's um, where you are more productive within Code Sandbox for building Jamstack applications than any other editor. Um, so that is, those are the um, plans that we have for the coming time. Other things that are that we want to work on is, for example, improve the embed so that more people can, for example, customize the embed, use the use like an API to control the embed so that it's more that's more useful for education tools, for example. So we have a lot of plans on things that we want to build on with Code Sandbox, and these are kind of the bigger projects. We also have very small, well, yeah, we have small features. For example, today we're we are releasing. Um, error reporting thing in Code Sandbox that whenever Code Sandbox crashes, you have the option to click a button and then it opens a, an issue on Code Sandbox repository. So, yeah, those are the general plans of what we have. Cool thing is that we are also going to define like a very long term roadmap at the start of August when we get the whole team together in Amsterdam and then we're going to sit in, in a room and talk about what the kind of like the grand roadmap of uh, Code Sandbox will be. Nice. That sounds like super awesome <laughs> <laughs> that you have. So, uh, but uh, you, so in, in the past, you were sustaining yourself before the investment on Patreon, right? So, mm -hmm. oh, nice. That's and, true. <laughs> and how, how the, so does it, uh, did it work well, all donation things? So were you yeah. able to sustain yourself and your servers and the costs only by donations? Yeah, it worked pretty well at the start. So <laughs> nowadays we're we're not we won't be able we are not able to sustain ourselves with uh, just the patrons. But at the start, and CodeSandbox was more like a project and not a company. We just wanted to pay for our servers, and we had the CodeSandbox patrons set up so that people can donate to CodeSandbox and they get some extra features. That was the idea behind it. And it really took off well. We got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of patrons uh, nowadays. I think we have like 1,300 patrons and we're able to pay our server costs from it. But, uh, and we were until February, I think, uh, sustainable with it. But now that we have more people working at CodeSandbox, it's pretty hard to sustain ourselves with patron. Although we are planning to build something that's called Team Pro. And Team Pro is um, a more professional account where you um, can pay as a team, and then you get um, very specific features that are useful for teams. Like uh, one of the things that we're thinking of single sign-on, but the other one is that we want to support private NPM registries, um, so that teams can more easily communicate within the company with their own libraries that they might have. Cool. So now that uh, that you've talked about Code Sandbox and where you want to take Code Sandbox. 
uh, I, I'm curious where would you where would you like to go yourself as a programmer? I mean, from your internship at Facebook to building Code Sandbox as a product, both as a, from a development standpoint and as a product. Where where would you like to go next? Is there any technology you're excited about and you'd like to learn, or I don't know, what what would you like to? Where would you like to move forward? Well, I am very enthusiastic about Rust, and I am playing with Rust quite often because I think that Rust is a language that's optimized to run on any system, and that's why they also have WebAssembly in mind uh, as one of the first uh, well first ideals. And I find that super cool. So for example, uh, Figma is an online uh, design tool and they use Rust, for example, to improve the performance, the load time performance of their uh, of their editor itself. And I think that Rust has a lot more potential. I think that there was one time when I saw a library, uh, well, a tool that was uh, similar, that was like Git, it was Git re-implemented in Rust. And I was able to compile it to WebAssembly and run it in the browser. And that's a super powerful thing that uh, Rust is so flexible that you can compile it to anywhere. And then the language itself also is very clean. So I'm very enthusiastic about Rust and I'm looking for excuses to use it more. Um, so as a programmer, I want to move more into, uh, well, learn more about Rust. Um, and I think the most challenging part for me the coming uh, year will be also managing teams and people. Um, that's something that I haven't done much before, and uh, I'm learning every day new things on how to how to approach it. So that's the thing that I want to um, that that's the thing that I want to improve on myself. Do you plan on going backpacking more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely want to backpack more. That's backpacking is one of the most things, uh, most fun things I've done. Alleen now I'm uh, that was pretty hard to go backpacking at this stage <laughs> but in the future I might want to yeah I, I want to go backpacking again I saw that you were in Southeast Asia right mm -hmm. yeah. how did you end up there like backpacking in Asia yeah so um, I, I got this uh, work at uh, Katawiki and I said when they offered to do a leap year I said to them okay I, I would want to do a leap year with you but one of the requirements is that I want to do three months of backpacking in uh Well, wherever, and um, so that's they, that's what they accepted also on. And I went backpacking to Vietnam, to Cambodia, Thailand, and Laos, and um, it was so cool. I learned so much uh, just from backpacking, especially on a social level that you are you're communicating with new people every day. And the weird thing is that probably the next day you won't ever see them again. And it was a very cool experience that you were as free to do what you wanted. So for example, we wouldn't know what we would do the day uh, on the day before. We would make up plans like on demand. Whenever in the morning we would think, okay, let's let's go to this uh, lake or let's go to this waterfall or let's do this um, boat tour here. And that was super, that was a very freeing uh, idea that you can do just whatever, whenever you want. Um, so. I'm a big fan of backpacking. I want to do it more often. <laughs> That's nice. I think it's pretty cool because you sound like uh, the younger version of Bogdan because he also <laughs> one or two years in Vietnam or Thailand or something like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, we should talk more about like uh, about Southeast Asia, Bogdan. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, only I, I wasn't backpacking. I was actually working there. So, <laughs> yeah, I worked for uh, a year and a few months uh, in Thailand mm. on a tropical island. That's very, very nice. <laughs> on, a, on a secret uh, evil genius tropical island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A secret location. <laughs> and here we are, Bogdan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so if you talked a, a bit about uh, moving from a, I don't know, like a software development guy to a building a product and leading a team and things like that, can you can you talk a bit about your experience with that and how you're approaching transitioning from coding to actually like leading a team and building building code sandbox? Yeah, it was it was kind of gradual. Um, it was very. It was very new to me. 
um, because at first you're the only one working on the code base, and then uh, and you know every part of the code base, and then uh, more people start to join, and I noticed that I slowly had to go from writing my own code to doing more education on the code base and do more pair programming and telling how everything works. And I'm still not doing it enough, but I think one of my main things that I do more now is um, I educate people on how the code base works so that they can work independently on the code base as well. Um, and that's a big change. That's a big shift. I also uh, am not programming as much anymore. I noticed that I'm doing lots more writing of documents and specs and emails. <laughs> And those are the less less those are the more boring parts, as, except for the specs. I do like writing specs because it's more like you're writing down your fantasy of how it should work perfectly. Um, but uh, yeah, it's less writing code and it's more educating other people on how how why the code is written that way, how the code is written. Doing more reviewing. I'm uh, all doing a lot more reviewing than before instead of building my uh, work. And um, that's also the other angle that's we are a remote first company so there are some uh, there are workflows that are less intuitive when for me at least when doing remote first but are super effective because our goal is that people can work independently without having uh, without having to need to do like synchronous communication with people so whenever someone has a problem ideally they can find it in a document someone else who had the same problem and then uh, troubleshoot from there and um, so that's why I'm also doing a lot more writing on um, what good coding conventions are. That's what I did yesterday mostly. Um, but also on we need to have more documentation on how to run the project, for example. So that's um, that's very different to what I did, for example, a year ago. But um, it's slowly becoming more natural to me. Great. <laughs> so I've saw that recently, or I don't know, you've been talking to uh, to a lot of conferences. So you've been to Front End Love, right? Yep. To Vue.js Amsterdam, to JS Heroes for yeah. quite some time. So how do you enjoy like being a super famous speaker? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do love speaking. Because um, before at conferences, um, I had to, when I was at a conference before, I found it pretty hard to like go up to people and talk with them. Um, and uh, now that I give talks, people often come up to me to talk. And that's really nice. Um, yeah, it, I find it really, I find it a lot of fun to tell, tell stories. And conferences are a perfect place to tell stories. And... The other part that I find really cool is that you get to talk to people who use what you built and they tell you in a very um, natural way, like how they use it, uh, what they use it for, what they like, what they don't like, what they want to see improved. And that's pretty nice because right now I'm in my student dorm and I'm programming and writing specs, but I don't really talk to the people using it now, as, except for like through GitHub issues, which is also a skewed view of how people use it. But when you go to a conference, then you can talk to people and see that it's actually used by uh, by people who are enthusiastic about it. And that's I think that's the best part. The other best part is that you get free travel. So for example, I'm going to India uh, in September for giving a talk. And that was on my bucket list for a long time, going to India. And uh, now I can go there through, through the conference. And um, later there's also Concatenate uh, Conf in Africa. And that's also uh, where I'm probably going. So that is another super cool thing. For, same for Romania. I haven't, I, wasn't in, I haven't been to Romania before I went to JS Heroes. And uh, now I go more often. I think I've been in Romania three times now. But um, yeah, the travel is a big a big plus. That's really nice. I, I love conferences in general, except for right before the talk, then I'm super stressed. But after the talk, I'm super happy. <laughs> Sounds like pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this is I, uh, the best part. I think like meeting people that actually use it and are very excited by your work and using your product. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely the best part. I, I, I'm curious about like, uh, like the building the, the team remotely and working remotely and stuff like that and talking about some advantages of working remotely and things like that. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's a very that's like a that's a Pandora's box. That's a really that's a really good question. Especially also um, one of the things for me when um, when I work with a company. So one of the things that a founder, one of the main things that a founder needs to do is they need to express their ideas and visions to the people working at the company so that everyone is going in the same direction. And when people work at the same location in the same office, that goes much easier because between conversations or uh, like quick chit chats already express these kind of uh, these kind of visions and goals. And when you are remote, you need to take an extra effort into making it, making sure that that's communicated properly. So that's um, one of the challenges. One thing that we've been trialing uh, for a couple of weeks now is uh, we have a water cooler channel. So normally people talk at the water cooler with each other, but we in Slack, we now have a water cooler channel to simulate this. People can just open a call in the water cooler channel, then other people can join and you can talk about whatever you want. So that's a really nice, um, that's, it worked out pretty well. Before the first week, uh, when we just got a water cooler call, um, we were almost releasing a new feature. And one of the people uh, working at Code Sandbox, our business operations, he's not development, he started to do QAing on the, on, he started to test a new feature and he found a bunch of bugs. And then we were like with multiple people in the same call and then some people were fixing the issues while he was testing all the flows again. So that was a nice, uh, nice way of seeing how the water cooler call worked out. And that's one of the things that we um, need to do. But uh, the thing is, you need to be quite explicit and you need to be quite, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but you need to be sort of explicit in what you do to make remote work. So for example, you need to do the uh, create this water cooler channel. And But once you have all these things, you are set up for a way of working that's uh, is time zone independent. Uh, you can get, um, you can hire from all over the world, and it will it will make a very efficient workflow. So um, we started hiring uh, two months ago, and we hire remotely. So we got job applications from all over the world, which is also a challenging part because. When we opened our career page, at some point we got between 200, 300 job applications, and we are only a small team to review all of the job applications. So um, that was a very hard part for us as well. But it does tell how how much hiring opportunity you have when you hire remotely. So that's one of the also one of the cool things about having a remote team. But yeah, that, uh, it comes down to if you do. You need to do a lot of um, at the start at start unintuitive and manual uh, kind of like processes to make remote team work. But when you get that to work, you have a, a team that's super automated, can um, work from any time zone, and you have an incredible, incredibly big talent pool as well. So uh, the benefits really are there, and I think that a remote team is really something that will that we will see more and more. It kind of extends also the open source uh, workflow where people are already working remotely. So um, yeah, I'm happy with the remote team. Nice. So would you say that the like these are the main advantages and disadvantages of a remote team? Like having the advantages that you have access to a wider pool of talented people and disadvantages as are that it's harder to communicate your vision and get the entire team on the same page when working on something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the disadvantages, those are totally fixable. It's just that you need to take you may you need to do some extra effort um, to make that uh, to make that work more autonomously. So, um, for example, if someone has a question, it's probably already written down in do in a document because we take more effort into writing everything down uh, for all the processes. So it's people probably also work a bit more efficient because they don't always have to communicate the opportunity to communicate with their other team member because maybe the other team member is asleep. So, um, but that's still something that advantage is still something that we need to find out because we are just at the start and we haven't documented a lot yet. We need to document much more, <laughs> but that will come over time. Do you think that a remote team is scalable at 
I don't know, to some point. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, GitLab has proven that it's uh, that is certainly possible. I think I think a remote team can get really, yeah, it can it can scale to a really big size. I'm not sure how big the GitLab team right now is, but they they have a very they have a very pure approach on on the on the remote team, and they're they are very transparent too. And I think they are doing really well. Um, and the, they have people, employees from all over the world. And I don't, I'm not sure how many employees does uh, does GitLab have nowadays. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, it's a lot, and they are all remote, so it's really. Uh, yeah, it's really going well. Of 584 across 53 countries. countries. All going well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's uh, and that all remote. That's that's really impressive. Yeah, it actually is. Oh, nice, cool. <laughs> so I think there's. Uh, do you have plans to have like a head, a mini headquarters somewhere <laughs> in the world? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, we do where, want to have. You yeah, can have like an actual physical water cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely. So we are opening an office in on the 1st of August in Amsterdam. And so that will be mostly like a fallback base. So the idea is that, uh, so we have an office for six people and we are sitting there with three people full time. And then we have three places left. So whenever someone, for example, um, wants to work directly with us, they can go come over to Amsterdam and then work, for example, for a week with us or two weeks with us directly. And it's also a way for people when they are visiting Amsterdam that they have, a, well, also outside of Code Summit, that they have a place to work. So we do have a, a real office, mostly because I also wanted to get out of, I wanted to separate my work time from free time. Right now I'm in a student dorm and when I wake up and I sit up, then I literally see my whiteboard. So it's the, there is no clear clear line between the two, um, and I think it's healthy to to separate the two. Yep, yeah, for sure. Where can where can people find more about you, and uh, where can people follow you and the things you're working on and the conferences you're uh, you're attending? So I am most active on Twitter, I think. Um, that's under the username CompuEvas, so it's C-O-M-P-U-I-V-E-S. And I do want to set up a blog someday, but I still don't have a blog, and it will probably take a while with uh, with uh, how much I'm kind of neglecting it. But uh, in the future, I might I might mention that as well. But right now, I'm just most active on Twitter. Okay, nice. And like, also, people can go to Code Sandbox and use uh, use the tool itself because it's pretty. Yeah, cool. yeah. And send me a message on how you how you like it because then uh, then we get some more feedback. That's really nice. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, Eve, for, <laughs> for being our first remote guest, and also thank you, Bogdan, for uh, being Creeping. there in the shadow. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really like the questions that you've asked, and well, you're you're both good interviewers. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Especially that's, Mihail. Yeah, I think he's the best. That's the host. nicest thing any guest has said about us. So, <laughs> so yeah, thanks a lot, and good luck with Code Sandbox. I think this is a tool like a lot of people will are gonna be using on in the future. So. Good luck in building it and uh, making it uh, solve both your problems and other people's problems. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll Bye. Be, we'll be back after <laughs> later, a short break. <laughs> yeah. So 
for the news section, we at JS League, we have three new workshops to announce. Is uh, They're on September, the JavaScript month. Uh, we have on the 4th of September, the JS Beyond the Basics. On the 21st of September, ES6 Fundamentals. And on the 28th of September, TypeScript Fundamentals. We have a new format, a six-hour format to be a more lightweight workshop. And we have included the food, snacks, drinks, coffee, and the location in the ticket price. So are, these are community workshops. All that we have for profit is reinvested in future workshops. For the conference section, we have on the 24th of September, JSCAM Bucharest, 26th of September, JSConf Budapest, where we have JS League 19, a discount code for the community. And on the 3rd and 4th of October, RevoGS, the first JavaScript conference in Timisoara. I think we have kind of a full JavaScript autumn here. So this is it, basically, for the news. <laughs> cool. And now uh, moving on to the interview question. And uh, for this, uh, this episode's interview question, we're all uh, actually giving away a a free ticket to one of the three uh, three workshops Diana talked about. So uh, uh, the winner can choose from one of these three workshops to get a free ticket to, to any of them. So uh, answer fast and uh, answer well, and you might uh, you might uh, learn more about JavaScript, ES6, or TypeScript. And uh, for the question itself. Uh, the question is, write a method that returns the nth number of the Fibonacci sequence. So basically a function that takes in a, a number, an integer as a parameter, and uh, returns the nth number in the sequence, the Fibonacci sequence, in as, uh, doing it as efficiently as possible. So we're looking here for efficiency and also like using, uh, using all kinds of smart tricks to get to the answer faster. So answer up and you could win a, a, an invitation to a workshop. Cough, <coughs> Florin. <laughs> yeah, Florin, we're waiting for your submission. Or whoever else wants to, wants to answer the question and maybe be featured in the next episode. Yeah, and battle with Florin. Yeah. Okay, cool. So our next episode, is, thank you, Mihail, for that awesome interview question, as always. And for the next episode, we have a surprise guest. Yeah, a surprise guest again. Yay, surprise. That will be uh, on on the 9th of August. Yeah, so till, uh, till the 9th of August when episode 12 comes out. See you guys later. Keep coding awesome projects. In Code Sandbox, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.